Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Very excited to announce the newest podcast to the Ringer Podcast Network family. It's Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. So this pod is gambling, 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 and more gambling. Yes, I have a gambling problem, and yeah. I want to share it with you. I want to yeah. make it your problem. And it's not just football. NHL playoffs, uh, NBA playoffs, baseball, horse racing, there's boxing, UFC. When we hit- SummerSlam. Oh, all the wrestling. When we hit July, we have a, a hot dog eating contest for Nathan's. And some surprise celebrity guests. Yeah. All right. It's Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcast. And we're thinking about once a week, right? Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to GM Street. I'm Tate Frazier. And sitting across from me, Mike Lombardi. Lombardi, how are you? I'm great, Tate. I am doing awesome. Week after the draft, everybody's going to the Super Bowl. You know, uh, it's a good time of the year. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of big news out there, a lot of people talking about football. It seems like it's closer than maybe a lot of people assume. It is the month of May. May the 4th be with you. That's the joke that everyone's making today. That's a <laughs> that's a Star Wars joke for people. Um, that's all we can do here, little jokes. Um, but a team that's not joking around that has a lot of uh, questions and a lot of people talking is the Bears. The Bears. The Bears. Uh, the number two pick, they take Mitchell Trubisky. We've mentioned that. We've talked about that ad nauseum. But the bigger story here with the Bears is the GM, Ryan Pace, and the head coach, John Fox. There may be trouble in paradise or trouble uh, in the winter wonderland that is Soldier Field. What's going on with the Bears? Well, I think this. I, I think, first of all, the, the Trubisky trade and all that, is when you take a step back and you break it down, it really doesn't matter what they gave up for Trubisky. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. I mean, the reality of this is it matters whether Trubisky can play or not. Yep. And that's really what it comes down to. Whether you gave up a third or a fourth and you know all that stuff, it's, it's insignificant in the total realm of it. The issue here for John Fox, and I think this is where Ryan Pace and John Fox have a little bit of a problem, is how are they going to develop both players? How is Trubisky going to get enough reps? How is Glennon, who needs all the reps, going to get enough reps? So that becomes a problem. And I think unless that Pace sat down with Fox before the draft, which it doesn't sound like it happened. Yes then I think this is going to be one of those things where Fox is saying, look, if I don't win this year, I'm probably going to get fired. Mm -hmm. So he's going to do everything in his power to make sure Glennon has the ability because he knows one thing. Trubisky's not going to win games from this year. Trubisky's going to learn. So why develop Trubisky for the next coach? Why not get Glennon ready for this coach, for him to win so he can keep his job? And I think that's kind of where it is. The trade to me... Tate on the, on this was everybody's talking about it and I went through it a bunch. I talked about it on Twitter. I couldn't find a team that was trying to trade up and I still don't believe there's a team that was trying to trade up to get Trubisky. That doesn't say that they overpaid because again, if Trubisky's a good player, it doesn't matter. And we know John Fox is on a four-year deal, but it sort of seems like he's in a lame duck situation. And there was a lot of reports that came out after the fact that John Fox didn't know that they were going to take Trubisky and Ryan Pace made this trade sort of behind his back. That was like the rumor. Then there were stories coming out that were saying teams weren't trying to trade up to the number two spot to get Mitch Trubisky, which was sort of the way that the Bears tried to play it out as if they were trying to compete with other teams to take the spot. When you look at it like that, how does it play out just from draft night from that perspective? between the head coach, between the general manager, when they draft Mitchell Trubisky, like, what's the next step? What happens after that? It's well, like, do we call Mitch together? Is it a separate a separate conversation? Or is John Fox looking at this and saying, well, it looks like I'm just put in a lame duck situation and now I have to figure out what I'm doing? I think John Fox has been around. You know, the guy's been a head coach of Carolina, been a head coach of Denver. I think he knows that, you know, another bad season. And, and he's, he's not seen gonna, some bad quarterbacks. He's seen a lot of bad quarterbacks, yes. okay? So he's got to know that the next situation could be, 
you know, he's got to win right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the pick. Okay, so there, you know, Peter King wrote about it in Monday Morning Quarterback about there was another team. The only team that I heard had made inquiries to go up to two, and it was not for Trubisky, was in, was the Saints. And I'm not sure the Saints had that much of an interest to get to two for the price. Yeah, but the 49ers really have to count their lucky stars because had the 49ers traded down to say 11 and picked Reuben Foster there they may be looking at a guy who's mm-hmm. hurt all right yeah Where the shoulder it, that came the out the shoulder yeah and i think the untold story in this whole draft has been and it's amazing when you have really good pr and nobody gets on it is the titans picking Corey davis at 5 mm-hmm. i mean most people didn't that i've talked to since the conclusion of the draft had Corey davis not as their first receiver on the board and so, to me, because t- John Robinson talked about trading down, you knew there weren't a lot of teams trying to trade up because Robinson's smart enough to know that, you know what, picking Corey Davis here is probably too much. I could move down and get him. Yeah. But he was stuck at the pick. He had a Turner card in, and that was the guy he wanted to pick. Mm-hmm. So that tells you there wasn't a lot of action moving up. I think the Saints made an obligatory call. They thought the price was too high, and then they made the deal with the Bears. So that, to me, it's the Saints... And no one else. Yeah. Let's go back to Fox. Fox is in a tough spot. I mean, look, Fox and Pace. Pace is trying to say, look, I'm protecting a franchise. Fox's job is to win games next year. Those two alignments never seem to work. Yeah. And John Fox is on that four-year deal. It's not in 2015. It sort of feels like things. there's been a complete turnover since he came in. He came in with a team that had Jay Cutler, Brandon Marshall, and sort right. of a fixed formula for Alshon what they wanted. Jeffrey. Alshon Jeffrey. There, there's a totally different team that he walked into, and now it looks like that they're building toward a totally different team outside of that. But just from Ryan Pace's perspective with John Fox, does it seem like the, the Bears franchise in general is buying into the Pace uh, idea for what the future should look like instead of buying into what Fox will probably be you know, building for these what guys. What I think had to happen, and I don't, I don't have any knowledge, I don't have any evidence that this did happen, but for me, it had to happen. Okay, I can't prove it in a court of law, but it had to happen. Pace had to go to the ownership and say, look, he had to go to Ted Phillips, the mm-hmm. president of the team, and he had to go to the McCaskey family uh, and say, look, I think the best thing for us to do is to draft Mitchell Trubisky. I know we signed Mike Glennon at $15 million, yep. but Glennon allows us to develop Mitchell Trubisky. I want to pick Mitchell Trubisky. It's for the longevity of the franchise. And when you hear those terms and you hear those words and you're the owner and you're the president, those are self-preservation things that help you propel. And I think when you look at the Bears, Going back to when they were at the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman, it's been difficult to solve that quarterback position. They tried to make the trade with Jay Cutler. Mm-hmm. That didn't work out. Rex Grossman hasn't worked out. So this is their attempt to solve it. And I think ownership is more inclined to believe it when they've been through so many attempts at not being able to sign it. And I think the reality was they didn't want to go down the Kaiser role. They didn't want to go down the Nathan Peterman role. They wanted to go down what they thought was the best player they could get, and that was Trubisky. And just for people that don't know this, Mike Glennon was – and accepted an invite to the Bears draft party. So he was there yeah. when they made the pick for Mitchell Trubisky. If you're Mike Glennon and you see the situation, obviously, you know, you've been there, you've been in quarterback conversations in Tampa Bay. What is that what sort of message does that send to you? And then if you're Mitchell Trubisky, what kind of situation does he now walk into in that quarterback room? Is it because it goes straight from friendly, welcome to the organization to all right, now you're in a competition with this guy? I would think Glennon probably got on the phone immediately after that with his agent and said, like WTF. Yeah, what, like, what's going like, on here? Like, yeah. they lied to us. Like, mm-hmm. we were the guy. We signed it. Now, look, they gave us a lot of money to do this, but they promised the words are just as important as money. Yes. And they gave us all this money, but they didn't really come through with it. So, I think that's the issue. To me, it's a little bit embarrassing when you have those draft parties and then you have, like, what was Glennon going to say to the fans? 
And now, now he's embarrassed. Well, I mean, now now he's fielding questions because people right. are like, "Why?" Well, you, you just know, what put you, him in a horrible situation. And the fans are looking at him as like, "Oh, well, we have our franchise quarterback now. Why are we giving you fifteen million? Right. And then if, if you're Pace, you can't take him off that visit because mm-hmm. then it tips your hand that you're possibly going to do something. So you're kind of betwixt and between. It, it really is an issue to me. I think the bottom line is. It looks like a lot of poor planning. But again, I think if you're a bad Bears fan, Robert Mays, listen to this now. That <laughs> what matters most is how Trubisky plays. It really matters most. And I think there's a lot of things that are going to come up between now and next December that are going to indicate, A, can Trubisky do it? And B, what does it do to Glennon? Say Glennon plays well, maybe they could trade Glennon. Yeah. You know, maybe they should trade Glennon now. Maybe they should trade Glennon now. Maybe Cleveland should call up and say, you know what? We'll take Mike Glennon. Yeah. I mean, they were willing to take the heist as pay yeah. off the hands. Why not take Glennon? Here's $15 million. See if you can trade something for him. To me, that would be a phone call worth making. I like your idea for the Cleveland Browns to be a charitable franchise that takes bad quarterback contracts off the hands of other teams. Well, look, they're not going to get... Look, the, the idea that, that that Deshaun Kaiser is going to start this season... Or it has even, to be Brock, right? It has to be, it has to be well, the highest. Well, I mean, I don't know if they can cut Brock at this point now. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I don't think they He's can. probably the only guy in the quarterback room that they are probably going to have to lean on to say, I guess we're giving you the ball day one. Yeah, I mean, I don't see how else to... I mean, if you think Cody Kessler is going to be the starting quarterback for 16 games mm-hmm. there, there's no chance. So you almost have to hang on. So if, if, you're, if you're the Bears, why not see if you could trade Glennon now? And basically, you've paid a $15 million for whatever you can think you can get for Glennon. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm just saying, to me, that makes more sense. Kaiser makes no sense to think he's going to win the starting quarterback job at Cleveland. Cleveland talked about trading for a veteran quarterback. Here's to, you know, if I'm the Bears, that might be a move I'd make. Well, that makes sense. Well, speaking of NC State quarterbacks, we're going to jump to a team with probably uh, one of the top five, top 10 quarterbacks for quite some time that doesn't get enough credit. Uh, he only gets talked about when he wears bolo ties to, to press <laughs> conferences. Phillip Rivers and the Chargers, a team that you really liked. You like what they did in the draft. They added Mike Williams, who you believe is probably the top receiver in the draft out of Clemson. I thought he was better than... Cor- Look, I, the Corey Davis pick has me bewildered. I love Adoree Jackson, the Tennessee pick, but Look, these draft grades are just total BS. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and these this guy's going to play good. This guy's going to play good. I think Tennessee should be under more criticism for the for picking Corey Davis, the fifth pick overall in the draft. No one, to me, that and this is an evaluation. I don't. I see Corey Davis as a potential starter, not a starter right away from day one. I think there are a lot of better players to pick at that pick that they could have gone in a thousand different directions. If I'm Tennessee, I think Tennessee had a chance to really take a step forward. I don't think they did. Yeah. And so Tennessee but, has a weird thing with Baylor wide receivers. They did the Kindle Wright thing, and yeah. it, 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 it was a strange pick, and it also set back everyone else in the first round. So, like a lot of people in the Panthers contingent were like, "We want to trade up to make sure you get McCaffrey." And as soon as Corey Davis got picked, it was like it was a lock. You can get him; he's going to be there. Yeah, it, to me, I, it tells me that John couldn't trade down, and he was locked on the pick. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, he took his depth chart in the draft room, which is the first mistake to make. Like, don't take your depth chart in there. You're picking fifth. You earned that right to pick fifth. You traded for it. It's a great pick. You take the best player. Yeah, take the value. Over, take yeah. the best player. If it's Jonathan Allen, whomever you think is the Jonathan Allen and Corey Davis, there's no comparison. Now, the medical might be different. Mm-hmm. But Lattimore, take the corner. I mean, look, I love Adoree Jackson, but... I think you take the best player you could take there. Take Hassan Riddick. Yeah. I mean, he's a better player at five than, than Corey Davis. There's yeah, many for the Cardinals. There's many better players there. And so I think he got it. Where I think the Chargers, which I was surprised they went in receiver because last year, you know, Edmund played really well for him. Terrell Williams played really well for him. They had big receivers. I like Mike Will Mike Williams because 
Philip Rivers throws guys open. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what he does. So I think he'll fit well. But what I, why I like the Chargers is the thing that I bitched about more than anything about the Chargers is their offensive line. Yep. And they get Lamp, who Mike Mayock was proclaiming as a great player. I think he's a left guard. He'll play guard. And then they get Dan Freeney, a tough, hard-nosed player that can go in and play right guard. I know a couple teams that wanted to draft him. The Chargers got him in the third round. So, look, you get two starting offensive linemen in a draft. That's a great draft. I don't care what you do the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. That's a great draft. That gives you all these all these draft grades. That's an A draft. You get two starting offensive linemen in a draft for cheap. That's a great draft. And I think that those two players will play right away. Add to a Charger team that has Bosa, that has Melvin Ingram, that has Corey Legit. They got some really good pieces here, and I think that they're about ready to take over LA. There's my call. I think LA's, I mean, to me, they're going to be the LA team. Because yeah. the Rams, I, you know, the Rams, we can go on their draft. That, that, you know, they got Jared Goff. That's a whole player development thing. That's a whole other podcast. But to me, I think really the Chargers are the team to watch. And it came out, uh, the head coach of the Chargers, Anthony Lynn, said that Phillip Rivers plans to play three to four more years when you add guys on the offensive line to keep him sturdy and upright. That obviously helps his case. He's only 35 years old. Right. We've seen that guys can now play. To, you know, right. Tom Brady oh. is debunking everything about age yeah. and the quarterback I mean, position. His right arm's still good. Yep. I mean, look, they have they have some skilled players now. I mean, Keenan Allen comes back whether he can stay healthy. Antonio Melvin, Gates is still in the NFL. Yeah, and Henry Hunter's still a good player. I mean, yep. they got some really nice pieces. I mean, and, and look, the West is going to be hard. The Raiders are good. The Chargers are good. The Chiefs are good, mm-hmm. and Denver's going to be good. So there's four teams in the West. That, I mean, that's really one of the best divisions in football, and I think that there's going to be a lot of competition. But the Chargers took a step, I think, because they fixed their offensive line, whereas a lot of teams can come out of the draft. If you don't draft an offensive or a defensive lineman in a draft, it's kind of hard to feel like you did good in the draft. you got to repair those two lines, and I think the Chargers did. And now that they have those kind of guys on their team, I think they'll be pretty good. And ironically enough, Melvin Gordon, who his rookie year, a lot of people hurt, you know, for his fumbling problems and not just being able to to show flashes that he showed at Wisconsin. I mean, last year he really made a step, and now he's going to have a better offensive line. And there's, you know, yeah. sky's the limit for him. I, and I think with you know Gus Bradley might not have been a great head coach for the Char- Jaguars, but as a defensive coordinator, I think he'll do a really nice job. And mm-hmm. I think that they'll simplify what they do defensively. They'll be more of the Seattle approach. They'll keep the ball in front of them. They'll be able to rush the pass. So they'll use Ingram. Bosa is a blue chip type player. Yep. I, I think they're a corner short. Like I would have probably picked a corner instead of Mike Williams there. But you know they love Hayward. They love Verrett. They think mm. they've got some good young players there. So my feeling is this. I think the Chargers are a team that people are sleeping on, and I think they're a good play. And I'll give a tip to, to, to Cousin Sal for his podcast against all odds here. The reality here is I think they're one of those teams. I don't know what the number is in Vegas for what their overwin is, but I would bet the over for the Chargers. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's exciting news for fans in Los Angeles. They're I, looking for something. Well, they have to. I mean, look, the Rams the Rams are still a long way from from competing, and I think that's going to take them some time. And I think when they change defense with, with Wade Phillips' defense, I think it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for what they do. And I think that that's going to take some time. I think the Rams, are everything's on Goff. If Goff doesn't play well, it's going to be another long year. And that offensive line with Todd Gurley behind it, it just makes you feel bad for Todd Gurley. It really does. By the time he gets the ball, uh, there's three or four guys ready to tackle him right. pretty much every time. And I think that if you're if you're Sean McVay, you're saying, look, I'm going to get the ball out quick. Goff's going to get it out quick. I'm going to be able to compensate for the offensive line. And, you know, I know they signed Whitworth over at, at left tackle. That'll help. But, you know, you sign a 35 or however old. He's an older offensive yes. lineman. I mean, those are tough things to do because he break down. They don't have enough depth to be able to endure. And that's where a team, when you sign an old Guy like that, if he doesn't stay healthy, 
things fall apart. Whereas why the Chargers, they signed two young offensive linemen that can start for them next year. That really they'll play every they'll play every game. Yeah. And the good news for uh all those uh, Rams fans out there, Robert Woods will be back in the Coliseum. So Yeah, I mean the, <laughs> like I said like, will be back like out. I said the only thing Robert Woods is going to give them, the only thing Robert Woods can do for he knows how to get to the Coliseum without the traffic. I yeah. mean, he doesn't even need to use ways. He can just go there without himself because he's used to going to the Coliseum. Like those are the things that kind of blow me away. When you look at the Rams, I, I just, you know, and that's I, a hometown signing for the hope that uh, a certain demographic of fans You think people are going to come out to the game to see because Robert Woods is at the stadium? You think anybody in Los Angeles is going to give up a day at the beach to come watch Robert Woods play? Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, another thing that's going on in the world, fifth-year options. Uh, they're being picked up across the board. A lot of teams are deciding if yeah. they want to stay with guys that they've uh, drafted uh, four years ago. Um, probably the biggest name and the biggest story that did not get his fifth-year option picked up, Teddy Bridgewater, quarterback for the Vikings. Right. Um, they do not pick his fifth-year option. He obviously went down last year with the really catastrophic injury yeah. right when things were hopefully going to turn for the better. They get Sam Bradford, and now it looks like the Vikings are not really banking on Teddy Bridgewater for their future. What do you see for Bridgewater? I mean, is he looking I – mean, it basically means that he will probably He's going to miss out. this year. Yeah. He's going to miss this yeah. year. And, I mean, look, if they would have done it, then he would he would have been injured. They would have been on the hook. It was These, these options are guaranteed for injury only. Mm-hmm. And so – which means is the teams can get out from under them before in March of next season. But if a guy's hurt by March of next year, they can't get out from him. So it was really a business decision. I'm sure the Vikings don't want to lose Bridgewater. I think they feel like, okay, he's got ability. He's a good young player. We drafted him. But this is a business decision. Yep. If, they would have, if they would have picked up the fifth... They would have owed him. My man Blake Bortles, he got picked up the fifth. Did you see all my numbers I ran yesterday on Bortles? Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. But <laughs> they they I'm not this is not gonna be a Bortles podcast. I promise, Tate, we're not gonna talk about it. But they picked up his and they he think got it's it. they think it's a good value. At 19 million, which is that's a whole other thing. I guess they looked at Mike Glennon with the 15 million. They're like, oh, we'll give four million. I think they did. They said, look, for the next, so, but that's a whole other issue. Uh, But for Bridgewater, to me, when he got hurt, everybody thought it was going to be a two year injury. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure Bridgewater's ever going to be able to play again. Hopefully he has career ending life insurance because if that doesn't happen, he can pick up all this lost money, which would be a good thing. But the Vikings did the smart play. And they didn't guarantee him, just like the Rams did the smart thing by not guaranteeing Greg Robinson his yep. fifth season, too. Why? Let the guy prove that you can play. And a guy that did prove that last year to Davion Clowney, who was going through a lot of injuries. Last year, he has a breakout season, and then they do, the Texans do pick right. up his fifth year option, which is. Which was smart. I mean, they yep. let him prove that he could do it. Yep. And Mike Evans, uh, another guy for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, they exercised and picked up his fifth year option. The Buccaneers get O.J. Howard in the draft. It looks like the offense is uh, trying to figure itself out. Now they're trying to make a big, uh, they said they're trying to make a big long term deal for Mike Evans. So, um, yeah, it's another they guy. Have a good, they have a lot of good. It's all going to come down for, the, for, the, for Tampa Bay. It's going to come down to is their offensive line going to be able to play well enough? And Winston's cuts down on the interceptions. If he does that, if he protects the ball better, and they're, they've got enough skill. I think with the two tight ends they have with Brait and O.J. Howard, they can be in 11 personnel. They can be in 12 personnel. They can do a lot of different things. And if Winston cuts down the interceptions, this is going to be a really good team in the South. The South has improved, too. The South is one of those divisions that people kind of mistaken. But when you look at it, Carolina's going to be much better, I think. Atlanta's still going to be a good team. I don't mm-hmm. know how well they'll be on offense. Losing Kyle Shanahan is a huge loss. But but Carolina, and then you've got New Orleans, and, and then you have the Bucks. I, I think there's a four really good teams in that division, and I, I think it's going to be a challenge. The Bucks, to me, this is their year. And now that they have hard knocks covering them, this mm. is one of those years where 
this is going to require Derek Cotter to have his best season as a head coach. Yep. And there will be a lot of eyes on them. Another uh, receiver that has fifth-year option in that same division, Kelvin Benjamin. Right. Uh, they've got, they decided to pick up his fifth-year option. And uh, a lot of reports are that Kelvin Benjamin right now weighs 280 pounds. So. Uh, they, they are hoping, yeah, they're hoping he gets back in shape for this season, but he yeah, did I get mean, his fifth year option. I, I mean, look, the guy, you know, the, that they call it the off season because that's what people do is they take off. Mm-hmm. Okay. And obviously Kelvin Benjamin stretched that off further. Yes, into, yeah. into, uh, I think he's, enjoying, he's on my diet, yes, you know, yes. so he went that way. But look, I, I think this for Tampa, and, and I think this is a really big point for Dirk Cotter. When you have all this distractions and you have expectations, the hardest thing a head coach has to do in the NFL is handle the expectations. Mm-hmm. And this is a really young team. And if I were Dirk Cotter and I was advising Dirk Cotter, I would make training camp the hardest camp it possibly could be. Yep. This team needs to have a mindset of mental toughness. And with all those cameras around... And that's going to be a distraction. They have to have the best training camp they can have. They have to have a great offseason because everybody expects them to take the giant step. And what happens most of the time when teams are expected to take a step? They never do. So to me, this is going to test Dirk Cotter's skill as a head coach beyond anything he's ever done. And I was looking at the over-unders for the NFC South that just came out. And they have, I think the Falcons were 11 and a half. Uh, the Bucks were at ten. The Panthers were at nine. See, they're, they're, all those guys, they're all all those teams are like around. They're yeah, hovering they're, around ten wins. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do. Like to, to me, to think the Bucks are going to be able to be mature enough to handle the ten wins, I don't know. Yeah, we get what's San Diego's? Do you have that? Oh, seven and a half. All right, so the Chargers at seven and a half. To me, I think now the reason I think it's low is because the division's so strong. Yep. But the Chargers, with the, you know, they have a quarterback. Their offensive line should be better. I think they can win more than seven and a half. I think they'll simplify it. I don't know what Anthony Lynn will be like as a head coach, but I think offensively, with Wisenhunt running the offense and with Bradley running the defense, I think they got a chance to win more than seven and a half games. You say the Broncos are at eight and a half, so they're they're all hovering around. Yeah, the same I, sides, I think the yeah. reason they're lower than the South is because mm-hmm. people respect the division. I mean, with people, when I say people, Vegas respects the division more. But uh, to me, Dirk Cotter, if I'm if I'm him, this from this day forward. There's got to be a, a complete different mindset within that building. It can't be everybody, everything's going good. It's got to be a lot of pressure. He's got to put the pressure on the team to succeed, and he's got to block out the distractions. He's got one of the hardest jobs in the league right now. Um, there's there's quite a few hard jobs in the league. Uh, funny enough, um, no one has a superstar quite like LeBron James, but it did come out that uh, Tyron Lue, I don't know if you saw this, said that he had the hardest job in the league. So coaching's hard. Always remember that. Well, coaching I, is hard. I think what Lou's trying to say is it's hard to coach expectations. Yes. Yes. I hard. think that's what he's saying. And I think he's right. And I think when you read the when you read about these guys that have these great players, fans just assume that the you know, that the old Allen Iverson thing, practice don't matter, you know, when yeah. it really does. And the great teams and the great players, I mean Jeff Jeff Van Gundy has the greatest quote of all time when it comes to this is your your best player must set the tone of intolerance for anything that gets in the way of winning. That's what the Bucks I'm not sure do they have. Yeah. Is Winston going to set the tone of intolerance for anything that's in a way of winning? The Patriots have it. Some other teams in the league have it. Aaron Rodgers can do it. There are other teams in the league that do. Seattle kind of has it, you know, in a way. But I think that that's really where the question mark comes in. And Lou does have a challenging job. He's managing egos. He's managing all these different variables that come into play. It's hard. It's not just just roll the ball out, fellas. Let's play. No, you have to have like a pillar, like uh, like the same thing like a Tim Duncan on the Spurs. You have to have a pillar. Right. So if you're the Seahawks, you have Russell Wilson, who is a pillar on offense for your team. That's going to come in every day and set the tone for everybody right. else. Everybody's going to follow how he plays. I mean, that's the key to football is to get everybody to buy into the program. And when you have a little bit of doubt, and 
people think they can cut a corner, then all of a sudden those corners that you cut early in May, June, July, it's like Malcolm Butler, okay? Mm-hmm. He went to training. He's reporting the reporting, yep. Smart play for Malcolm Butler, because why? Malcolm Butler needs to stay healthy. How do you stay healthy during the season? You train really hard in the mm-hmm. offseason, okay? So that you can't do it by yourself. It's hard to do. Train in the offseason. You get yourself healthy. You get ready to play football. You have the best year ever you can possibly have. And all of a sudden, you control all the cards. No one else does. You can earn the 16, 17, 18 million for a, a cornerback contract. To me, it's a smart play. Not going would be stupid. Well, let's get to our final segment of the week. That is word on the street, sights and sounds and things that are happening in the world of the NFL. First up, Jamal Charles running back, a longtime running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, been a free agent, been looking for a deal. He signs a one-year deal with the Denver Broncos. How do you feel about that, and what do you see for Jamal you Charles? You know, I have a hard time with veteran running backs, especially guys that, you know, we don't know the medical of this as well, but there were flashes of him last year of kind of coming back a little bit. I don't think it'll be fullback, but it depends on the role that Mike McCoy decides to use for him with the, with the Denver offense. I think that'll be the most important thing. And they have C.J. Anderson, Devontae Booker. So they have other already. guys. Yep. So it'll be a more specialized role. And if, if I'm the Broncos, I'm keeping this kid, Charles, healthy for the last eight games of the season. I'm going to do the same thing that the, that the Raiders – I recommend that the Raiders do with Marshawn Lynch. Treat him like Mariano Rivera. Make him their closer. Bring him in later in the season as a specialist on third down to help the quarterback win those third down matchups because he can do it whether he's running the ball or or catching it out of the backfield. Does it intrigue you that the Seattle Seahawks valued Eddie Lacy? a.k.a. of fame of Fat Eddie over Jamal Charles for their backfield. Yeah, no, because I think what they wanted, they, they want more of that pounder guy. Yeah, yeah. I think they feel like they could get the other elements in their offense. I think they wanted some more pounders in there. C.J. Prose is certainly a guy that does it for Seattle, and he makes some plays, and he's kind of a loose play player. Mm-hmm. Seattle, to me, is another team I thought had a really good draft. Nobody talks about it, because Seattle added to their offense and defensive line. Seattle finally, thank God, they finally stopped picking defensive line. <laughs> and converting them over to offensive linemen. Yeah. Okay, they picked Ethan Posick from LSU, who will start. He'll be a four-year starter for that team at left guard or right guard or center, one of those three positions, and he'll end up making a lot of money four years from now in free agency. Great pick for them. If they get Malik McDowell to come in and play really well, a defensive lineman that they need desperately, I think Seattle really kind of went back to their roots. I think John Schneider kind of went back to what really made the Seahawks so good, which was being able to win with their offense and defensive lines. That's uh, that's all good things for Pete Carroll and company. Next up, Jay Cutler, a quarterback that's still looking for a job, says... I may not want to be a quarterback. Instead, I may want to be on TV. He's exploring a potential career in TV broadcasting. Jay Culler, the man of many yeah. uh, scowls and not many smiles, now wants yeah. to be on television. What do you see for Jay Cutler in his I mean, TV if, career? Look, if body language doesn't mean anything, how is Jay Cutler unemployed? His yes. body language is horrible, right? So, like, like Jay Cutler's better than... Like, you tell me a quarterback on Cleveland's roster right now it's better than Jay Cutler. They don't have one. Exactly. Right. Uh, right, the Bears. Do, they, do we think they have a quarterback better than Jay Cutler? Not from a not from a talent skill set. Not from a now. talent. So, look, this guy, Houston. They draft Deshaun Watson. I don't think you want to bring in Jay Cutler to be around Deshaun Watson. Not that no. I think that would matter, but but body language matters. And I think how you control as a quarterback, how you do it. Jay Cutler, if nobody wants you by now, then you're getting a, a phone call in September when somebody gets hurt. Like nobody's going to bring you in now. If they don't want you now, then they don't want you. 
in, in June. They're not going to want you in July. The only way they're going to want you is injury. I think the best thing that could ever happen were Jay Cutler to be in the booth calling a game, some quarterback to have some small injury, like a thumb injury or and something. Then right and, and then they sit out, and then Jay Cutler's like talking junk about them, not playing through the pain, not playing hard. And then Caleb Haney's like somewhere in the crowd just staring at Jay Cutler. And it's like, are you That'd kidding me? That'd be hilarious. That would be hilarious. Like, I don't like to me, if I'm Jay Cutler, like, you, this is, and I like Jay Cutler, and I think Jay Cutler, when I was around him, he, he just has an aura that he doesn't care, but yet he really does. And it's just his body language is so bad, and he doesn't protect the football. And by his body language of showing he doesn't care, it translates on how he protects the ball. So, I mean, this is his own bed. He's going to have to look. Is there a better quarterback on the, on the Jets than Jay Cutler? No. No. Okay. Not even close. Not even close, right? Now, yeah. maybe Hackenberg can turn turn it around. But for me... You're basically is, saying Josh McCown's better than Jay Cutler. Which is impossible. That. Yeah. But nobody wants to deal with the personality. That's why character really matters. Character is a big deal. Uh, Especially at quarterback. I mean, you really want oh. this guy influencing your organization? I, That's the thing with Houston. I think Houston would have been a good fit, but you can't have him... If you're going to draft a young guy, you cannot have him around trying to, uh, trying to tell them the deal. Um... Another big story, a big thing that's going around is that a lot of these guys are talking about how big time prospects are going to sit out of bowl games oh, yeah, no for doubt. next year, and that's that's the big the, well, the, I, the big I think, phrasing. And I think there's no doubt it's going to happen. I, I think we saw Fournette do it this year, and now people are saying next year Penn State's running back Saquon Barkley will sit out, and Sam Darnold from USC. If he's you know a lot of people think he may be the number one pick, sort of. Like I think how, Darnold probably you know Darnold will be a redshirt sophomore next year, so he would be eligible to come out. Yep. I think you know you look at Lamar Jackson at Miami, he would be eligible. You look at the kid at UCLA, he would be. There's a lot of good. Quarterbacks that potentially could come out next year. Maybe that's what Cleveland was doing with saving all these picks. They feel like maybe one of those guys, but it's another. It's the Sam Hankey program, and it's going to be another year of losing. But when you look at that, if you're a GM and you see a guy set out of a bowl game, do you dock him a little bit in your mind? I don't because it's a business. It's mm-hmm. the same business. Like like, do you dock the Vikings for not paying at Teddy Bridgewater for the injury? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Okay. Yeah. No, we can't. Th- they're making a business decision. The Vikings. It's okay for them to make a business decision, but it's not okay for Sam Darnold to make a business decision. Like those. If now, if it's a national championship game where it's one of the final four, I'm going to have a problem with it. But if it's the Liberty Bowl or if it's the Music City Bowl, I, I, and I'm not disparaging any of these bowl games. I'm not. I mean, the Bel- your favorite bowl, the Belk Bowl in Carolina. <laughs> you know, like I, I'm not disparaging any of the bowls. My point is this: is He's done enough for his university. Yeah. Like it, it, that scheme is really more about the university making money than it is on anything else. And if you've got a history of playing and you've got a, a tapestry of games that you can evaluate, what is one, what could play one more game or six more weeks of practice really going to do for you that's going to benefit you? I, I think we have to change how we view this. This is a little bit about dealing with millennials. When we were, when I was with the Patriots, we spent a lot of time trying to educate everybody on what millennials do and how they behave. And if you don't make that shift, if you try to evaluate the behavior of kids today based on how you perceive it to be, you're going to get angry and make these judgments about these kids not playing. When it's okay for the Vikings to make a business decision, but it's not okay for you know uh, Sam Darnold to make one. I think you have to change how you view it. I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, players have a lot more autonomy, and they have a, lo- a lot of you know they're basically taking it upon themselves to make decisions for themselves right. and, and try to do the best by themselves. Right. And look, I mean, Jake Butt got drafted, and yes, he got an insurance policy, but the reality here is is, is Jake Butt you know, had to overcome those things, and he had to pay for the insurance and all that. But that bowl game that Jake Butt played in wasn't for the championship. If it's for a championship, I'd say, you know what, you're putting yourself in front of the team, which I would hate, 
But if it's for a game that doesn't involve the championship game, because the, end, the, the, the here's what happened. The NC2A has made it very clear. These other bowl games are meaningless. They're just money makers for the, for the leagues and the colleges. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be in the Final Four rankings. So why, why would you keep playing? Yeah, I mean, didn't they do away with the Final Four, the loser game, the the, the teams that the lost? consolation? Yeah, they, yeah, they did away with that game, yes. right? Because it was meaningless, right? Yes. Same thing. Exactly. No, that makes sense. Uh, final thing for this week: the 49ers regime in general. They seem to be all in good spirits. They made this great trade. John Lynch is getting a lot of credit. Kyle Shanahan. People were patting him on the back already. Jed York came out and said that he wants to have a meeting of the minds with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Jim Harbaugh <clears throat> and squash the beef between the two. I think he reached out to his brother John, uh, the coach of the Ravens, and 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 said that he would love to sit down and have a nice lunch with Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh is a happy man. He's at Michigan. He's Just got saw a the Pope. He, yeah, he's got a Jordan contract. <laughs> He just met the Pope. All good things are happening for him. Jabril Breppers got drafted. I mean, it looks like they're both in, in nice worlds and they're both happy. Can they uh, get together, the York family and Jim Harbaugh, and just squash this beef or this little this little wedge between the relationship that uh, it, it ended up ending? You know, their you know, run I, together. I think this. I think if you go spend time with the Pope, what's the whole thing about being a Catholic? It's about forgiveness. Yeah, we yeah. have to wash away our sins. Isn't that what Springsteen tells us in all songs? <laughs> so maybe Jim would have a meeting with them and wash away the sins of the past and move on. I look, it doesn't do any good. Jim's happy, the 49ers are happy. It, it, d- it doesn't usually work out this way. It so wasn't really pretty. Happy. It wasn't yeah. really pretty, but it, to me, you know, what what's one phone conversation moving forward? I, I'm not as in love with the 49ers draft. I mean, they're patting themselves on the back for for what the trade they made. Great. But Reuben Foster, if he has to go under the knife, if he has to get operated on, which a lot of teams think he will, yes. that doesn't look like a great pick. And if C.J. Beathard is going to become an eventual starter for them, everybody's now talking he could be the next Kirk Cousins. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't think anybody really saw it. It's a little bit like when Cody Kessler got picked last year in the third round by the Browns. Everybody said, whoa, wait a minute. you know. And then people tell me that they almost picked Cody Kessler in the second round. Yeah. Could you imagine that? Uh. And so like, I, I think that we should temper down this 49er excitement. I think Kirk Cousins took offense to, to Kyle Shanahan saying that because that basically is saying that Kyle Shanahan made Kirk Cousins and molded Kirk Cousins into being you know, a Pro Bowl quarterback. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm not disparaging C.J. Beathard. I just didn't see that talent. Like, to me, I thought Nathan Peterman from Pitt was better than C.J. Beathard. But I think let's before we say this is a great draft, there's a couple elements that you've got to look at this draft before you can anoint it. A, can Foster stay healthy? B, can C.J. Beathard actually become a viable competitor for starting quarterback? If C.J. Beathard ends up being a backup quarterback for four years, okay, fine, no bad with the pick, but that doesn't make it a great draft. It doesn't make it a great draft. And when you look at their draft, like I talked about, you know, they're going to have to make sure that they hit with some of these players. I think Ian Williams, the running back they picked, I mean, Joe Williams, the running back they picked in the fifth round, I think, or fourth round, I think he would be ideal. For, he's going to be a good player for them because he is that one cut running back in the zone offense. I think he'll be an outstanding pick. But there's a lot to be proven here before you just all of a sudden annoy him. Can Kirk Cousins just get involved in some trade talks of the 49ers? Why can't that happen? Well, it's ridiculous. I mean, look, first of all, well, that rumor came out. It had to be wrong. Yeah, the Browns were, so it came out that the Browns were trying to trade for Kirk Cousins, and they, then they laughed it off. They, they laughed it off. Because, yeah. like, okay, here's the question. Who's going to play quarterback for the Redskins? Colt McCoy? Terrell Pryor. Terrell Pryor. There you go. You're going to bring him in? I mean, who's going to do it? Like, like that's why the rumor makes no sense. You're going to tra- They're going to trade Kirk Cousins, and then who's going to, are they going to re-sign RG3? <laughs> I, I mean, like, like, that's what, like, follow through. Don't, don't believe the rumor. Like, fill it out. Like, yes. okay, if they trade Kirk Cousins, who are they taking back? Are they going to take back... You know, they got to take back the rights to Colin Kaepernick, who we didn't even talk about in this podcast. He still doesn't have a job. Nope. No still job. doesn't. And now all these teams that have quarterbacks, the Jets aren't calling them. 
Right? We talked about Kirk Cut- Jay Cutler. Same thing with Kaepernick. It, to me, those rumors, when they get out there, you got to analyze them closely. Like, where is this guy? Who's going to pick? Who's going to play quarterback for the Redskins? I mean, Dan Snyder is all about winning the moment, right? Mm-hmm. So why would he trade away a guy that could help him win the moment for what? A future pick? When has Dan Snyder ever looked six months in advance? No, never. Ridiculous. Yeah, not going to happen. I think Kirk Cousins will be with the Redskins this season. I think that's um, yeah, a good bet. Yeah, and that's a pretty fair bet. Unless Kyle Shanahan wants to trade uh, C.J. Berthard to the Redskins for Kirk Cousins, you know. C.J. Beathard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they want to, yeah, they want to make it happen. Um, any more thoughts this week, uh, Mike no. Lombardi? Anything else uh, standing out to you in the NFL world? Uh, no, I think this is an, this will be interesting. Now this weekend, there's a lot of teams that have free agent tryouts. This is where teams take a look at their rookies and they take some guys that come in. Remember this. I think what before you can evaluate these drafts. And really realize the draft grades. Uh, two things: some of these, some of the f- over fifty of these kids that try out or college free agents, mm-hmm. they're going to be on NFL rosters next year. Yep. So the draft doesn't necessarily always produce the best players. I know that when we sit there and watch seven rounds of the draft, everybody's a good pick. Like there's no bad picks. Like this, there's going to be some bad picks in this, and I think that this is the weekend where you start to see that, and we'll start to find more about it. There was quite a few names that when I was looking through the guys that didn't get drafted, it, it's sort of astounding to see some of the names, like yeah, big the, name recruits and guys that you remember when they were going right. to school that, that were not drafted this weekend. Yeah, and I think that that's always a good thing to do. What, what we used to try to do in Cleveland and then in New England is with those four and five star guys that don't get drafted or have had shady kind of like careers where they bounced around a little bit, those are the guys that always end up kind of finding a way to make some roster. There's a pedigree about those type of players, and I think you'll see it. I think so too. Uh, this has been a great episode of GM Street. I've really enjoyed this Lombardi. I love right, that good. we just get to bounce around I and talk up the about bowl. That's why you like yeah, it. Yeah, that was great. Uh, modern Southern style. Can belk. we do? Can we do like a, a GM Street on once the? I want to do a GM Street <laughs> once the uh, the lottery. I play the lottery every day for the 76ers, and I've yet to get the top pick in the draft on that lottery pick. So I want to do a GM Street after the draft picks come out. I will go ahead and give you your prediction of what's going to happen. Thank you. Jason Tatum is going to go to the 76ers out of Duke. You think so? I think so. Oh, man. Colangelo, he's seen too much. Team USA basketball, too many connections there. Coach K, there's too much stuff going on in Philly. All right, Tate, you're depressing me. All right. Second round pick, though, Isaiah Hicks. I hope they take him. (laughs) There you go. Go for the 76ers. I believe in it. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of GM Street. We'll be back next week, and we'll be talking more NFL. And maybe a few Sixers uh, things. Yeah, we're going to have some of that. No doubt. 